0: It
1: is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Got a very familiar face with me once again. Chuck, It's good, bro? Nothing much. Chilling, chilling. How are you? Can't complain. A lot going on in sports. So today we got a, a few topics to talk about. Going to be a relatively quicker show than usual. We got Steph Curry. Is he emerging as the best player on planet Earth? And then I want to talk about Aralda Chapman. Chapman is having arguably the best start to any uh, any year of his career. Looks like the best version of himself. What's actually the secret why he's been so successful this year? And then also, we know the biggest news in sports probably right now, Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay, wants the GM fired if he's going to return to the team, and if we have some time, we'll touch on a little draft recap. So to start, we'll start with some NBA a little bit. What's your initial reaction of Steph Curry? Steph Curry is just in. He's in another world right now. There is just nobody on his level. Is it safe to say he's the best player on planet Earth? Um. Well, to start out, I love
0: Seth. Probably one of my favorite players that will ever play the game. Probably because he's a point guard, a position that I played when I was younger. and he, And he loves to shoot the ball, something that I like to do as well, even though I wasn't as good as he was. But... To go as far as to say he's the best player in the world, I think that's more of a prisoner of the moment kind of thing. I think LeBron will always be the best player as long as he laces his up, unless he has a significant decline in any any of the years, you know, after this one as he, you know, approaches 40 years old, which is mind-blowing to say. But Seth, but we always gotta remember Seth is always gonna be probably a top three, I guess, top, definitely top five, top ten, however you want to view it. He's always going to be a top player in the league, but I don't know if he's the best. I don't know if, if I would put, you know, players, and like everybody in the NBA below him. So, I mean, you can make the argument maybe he's too behind LeBron, but I think LeBron will always be number one.
1: Let me tell you, Wardell Stephen Curry is the greatest basketball player on Planet Earth. I've been a guy who's not necessarily one to want to have this conversation during the middle of a season because, again, being, you, can't, you, you can't accuse me of being right now as a prisoner of the moment. I understand that. And I believe this is a topic you need to have during an off season. Guys get hot. Guys get cold. Some guys really go off during the playoffs, which is where you're really going to make your name. As Kenny Smith once said, you make your name in the regular season. You make your fame in the postseason. I get all that. But right now, as we stand today, what Steph Curry is doing with this garbage roster He's the best player in the world. LeBron James is not the same guy he was three to five years ago. When Steph, we thought, had for a split second, was the best player in the world in 2016, LeBron reminded us in the playoffs and the finals that he's the guy. He's still the best player in the world. Well, again, he's not the guy he was then. So we can't compare 2016 to right now. Because arguably, we had this conversation last week, this is arguably Steph's greatest year of his career. Mine remind you... The Warriors were the worst team in basketball last year. They had the number two overall pick and the worst record in the league next to the New York Knicks. A year later, their roster did not get better. Steph is just healthy. And that's why they're 33 and 32 right now with a playoff berth. If we're talking about carrying a team, LeBron James can't carry a team like he used to. LeBron could used to take any team, no matter how garbage they were, he would find some way to drag them to the, the finals through the Eastern Conference. He cannot do that anymore. For him to make a finals and win championships, he needs an Anthony Davis to give you a 25-30 a game with 10-plus boards and be arguably the best player on the court. He needs a second ball handler in Dennis Schroeder, runner-up for six-man of the year, give you close to 20 points a game, can facilitate. Montrezl Howells, another key role player. Then you had Andre Drummond. This is LeBron's best team in terms of a roster around him in his entire career. He's just not the guy he was in year 15 or year 13. That he is in year 18. It's not a knock on him. It's just the truth. Father time is undefeated. He's getting old. He's not the same guy he used to. Whether it's LeBron, Kevin Durant. We know Kevin Durant can't carry a team the way Steph Curry is doing it right now. Was he everywhere he's been. He's been with a fully loaded, stacked roster. And that's how he wins. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi's been a guy that you put on any team. And they're gonna. he's going to get any team over the hump. He's not a guy you can carry a team either. We've seen it in San Antonio. He couldn't carry a team. He had the greatest coach with him in Greg Popovich. He had a loaded roster around him. Goes to Toronto. Mind you, they won 59 games before his arrival. Then he put them over the hump because he's such a significant upgrade from a DeMar DeRozan. Then they win the championship. Now at the Clippers, they had a disappointing uh, playoff run last year. We all know the 3-1 lead. But look what they did in that offseason. He brought George Paul with him. That was the whole big thing. Oh, when he when he brings George Paul with him, that's supposed to do it, right? Didn't work. And then you have Lou Williams off the bench, who's one of the best six men that we've ever seen in the game. You had Montrose Harrow last year. You have a, a rough rider, Pat Beverly. I mean, that team was so stacked top to bottom, and they fluked out. The only guy that I could say could carry a team like Steph, like Steph does is nobody. It's him. Steph Curry's the best player in the world.
0: I see your point where you come from, where he's taking like a really, you know, bad team and they're in, you know, a playoff berth at the moment. But if this was a full season, technically they, would, they wouldn't be, you know, holding a playoff berth as of right now. I have to see what Steph does in the playoffs. You know, anybody can go on a great stretch throughout the season. We've seen it, you know, time and time again. And then when the playoffs come, you know, the playoffs is a whole different bowl game than what the regular season is. If Steph can go into the playoffs and upset some of these top-tier teams that all have championship aspirations, and you know who the teams I'm talking about, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, so on and so forth, then we can start having this discussion to the next level. But as of right now, I think we got to tone down expectations. I think you even said last week that this is not Steph's best season ever. 2015, 2016 was probably his best season ever. He's having an incredible run. Don't get me wrong. But I'm still not going to hold, you know, the prisoner of the moment, you know, thing. And, you know, sorry. Now, don't get me wrong, Seth should get his flowers for the type of season he's having. But to have him as the number one player in the world, I can't give him that accolade just yet. I need to see it more in the postseason, and I need to see a decline in LeBron's game.
1: I think if we're going to have a change of, uh, of who's the best player in the world, this postseason, I could be wrong. We could have a lot of different answers. Maybe the Warriors don't even make the playoffs, or Steph does not perform the way he is right now in the postseason. But LeBron does not look like LeBron James. That's a big concern. Kevin Durant has, him, has played about 30 games in, in a span of, of 750 days. Kawhi Leonard, he has a lot to prove himself. So, I mean, this postseason I think we will get a lot of answers. But what Steph is doing right now, the way he could change the outcome of a game, the way he could change momentum, and the way he could carry a team is something I just don't believe any player has the luxury to do that. LeBron needs to work and have a monster performance to give you a, a, a monster fourth quarter, excuse me, to get 25 points in one game. And a breakout game from him is getting like 30. He can, he's not the same guy he was three years ago or five years ago or eight years ago. He simply does not have that anymore. Is he the best passer in basketball? Sure. I just don't think he could carry a team the same way. But for time purposes, I want to move on to uh, another subject, talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. A role is Chapman. Chapman's had a few disappointing postseasons in a row. The Jose Altuve in 2019. Last year blew, blew another opportunity in the playoffs. But, I mean, this year he looks like a different animal. And there is a little secret behind why he's been so successful. I mean, I believe he has 22 strikeouts in like nine innings Five for five in saves, three walks. He's been as close to untouchable and automatic as they come. And I think it's pretty safe to say he's the best relief pitcher in Major League Baseball. What have you seen from Chapman where you think why he's being so successful?
0: He's adjusted to the times.
1: Yes, it's crazy that guys can
0: go out there throw 100, 101, 102, 103, and so on. But... Players nowadays can sit on that and hit those pitches. It all comes down to your secondary pitches, and you see Chapman throwing that splitter, which is nasty. So now, now players don't only have to worry about his uh, his fastball, but don't forget Chapman also has. A, a, I believe he throws a curveball, if I'm not mistaken, and now he throws a splitter on top of that. So that's just a third pitch. Now players have to, you know. You know, be on the lookout for. Think about Chad Green, for example. Chad Green came up, they tried him out, tried him out as a starter, didn't work out so well. They turned him into a, a reliever and nobody was touching him. But then players started to pick up on his fastball and he started getting hitting he started to get hit around. So And I even said, I was like, Chad Green needs to incorporate secondary off-speed pitches in order to be successful. And he started doing that. And that's what Chapman is doing now. He's added another element to his game. Um, I don't want to say that Sanchez is is not catching anymore, so maybe that has something to do with it, but maybe he's more comfortable throwing the off-speed pitches to Higashioka than he is to Sanchez. Maybe that, you know, maybe it's a mentality thing. We've seen it with Cole. Cole's numbers are 10 times better when Higashioka is behind the plate than with Sanchez, so maybe that has some reasoning, but I think it's because Chapman added another off-speed pitch. There are plenty of guys prospects even, that could throw, you know, 100-mile-per-hour fastballs. Yeah, congratulations, but what are your off-speed pitches at? Players can hit 100. We, we see it every time we turn on a baseball game. How are you going to fool the hitters when they're sitting dead red on your fastball? And Chapman has adjusted, incorporated the splitter, and that's why he's looked as better than ever.
1: That's partially where I was going. To call spade a spade, everyone knows a lefty throwing 100-plus miles an hour is going to be very difficult to hit. And that's what made Chapman who he is and why he's been so successful his entire career, right? We all understand that. The past several seasons, Chapman has had one-and-a-half pitches. He's had a fastball where he can lose control of, and he had a get-me-over high school slider. That was not very effective. He tried to drop that in there when he needed a second pitch, so it's not the same thing for a hitter every single pitch and it was not very effective and it was not very good. Sure, it was 88, 89 miles an hour. I get that's very hard for a slider, but how it was not sharp. It was very loopy. You could tell he would slow his arm down a little bit. He'd slow his delivery down a little bit and you could tell when he was going to throw that when he needed to and it wasn't all that effective. This year is an entirely different animal. Chapman has now three pitches versus one and a half. We all know how effective that 100-102 is that it looks like he's throwing a little harder than he has the past few years with the Yankees at least. He's got that. The slider is now legit. He's throwing that for a strike. Throwing that with confidence. Throwing that when he wants. And it's sharper, it's harder, and it's way more effective. He's throwing hitters' timers off. So right then and there, now he has two full put pitches when he always had one and a half. And like you touched on, the splitter. Let's just talk baseball and let's talk facts. I don't care how hard you are. I don't care how, how hard you throw, how crafty you may think you are. If you are if you say you have a, a big league curveball, no matter if it's high school, college, or major league baseball, I don't, minor leagues, I don't care what level it is, the changeup slash splitter is the very best pitch in baseball. And it's not close. It's not up for debate. A fastball is a straight pitch. The easiest pitch for a hitter to hit is a fastball because it's on a straight line. A curveball, you could pick up the spin into that. And a lefty on a righty, you see that spin coming in towards you. I mean, I understand that some can be very good, have a sharp break and have sharp spin where you can get those swing and misses that look like a straight and go to a ball. But a changeup is a different animal. With that splitter slash changeup, it's a fastball that's ten, a good 10 miles an hour less. That last second, you cannot pick up the spin and dies away. It's so effective because you can't see it. Hitters are now guessing against Chapman, and that's why he's so great right now. That's why he's so successful. The way that pitch could dive and always having the approach 102, 102, 102, and then see 90 with the same type of spin but dies at the end is virtually untouchable. And as long as Chapman keeps his control the way he's been, he's going to be the best closer in the league. And I don't think we're going to see the same playoff struggles that we've had in the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, I, you, made a, you made a good point. I'm happy you touched on it. Yes, he had that get me over pitch, but now he's, he's able to locate both pitches for strikes. I think the troubles that we even saw with the playoffs was that he wasn't able to locate it. So when batters would lay off of it, it would be a ball. But now that he's able to locate it in the strike zone, if batters lay off of it, it's a strike. So I think that's helping him with the strikeouts because it's setting it's setting him up, you know, to to throw a hundred two by the batter because because now they're guessing, and if they guess wrong, it might be called a strike. So that's just another element. I think control and command is another key that he's really worked on, and and he's not all over the place. I think this is the best we've seen him locate his pitches that then. Throughout his entire tenure with the, Inc. I mean, maybe in the very beginning, but but he's been phenomenal so far. And I know it's only a month into the season. I think he's only had like ten appearances, but he's been locating with ease, and I think that's been a big key as well. You know, yeah, you could sit up there like the guy on the Cardinals the other day. He he threw a hundred and hit Harper right in the face, and then on the very next pitch, he hit uh, Didi in the ribs. That's because he couldn't locate. When you could locate and have the stuff that Chapman has. That's why he's striking out almost every batter he faces because of that combination.
1: Once you can locate and you have multiple pitches and you're throwing that hard from the left side, that's pretty much what's going to make you untouchable. But to switch topics here, I want to get into NFL now. Aaron Rodgers, the biggest news in sports right now. He wants out of Green Bay or he wants his GM fired. What's your initial takeaway? You're muted.
0: You're muted. You're muted. This was a long time coming, and not a matter of if it will happen, but when it will happen. And I think the time has finally come. I don't think he's going to go to San Francisco because it would be stupid of the Packers to trade him within the same conference, at, because that's their ticket to get to the Super Bowl. You got to go through your conference. So I think Rogers, if if trade is going to go to the AFC. The packers hold the leverage as of right now if rogers wants to retire i i guess they could say go ahead because you're not gonna be getting the money they have his you know their hair apparent in jordan love even though jordan Love's probably not ready but they could use that as the leverage it's not like you know without Rodgers, they're just stranded they're gonna throw love out there that's their guy we may disagree i i, I don't think love is ready at all but The the Packers and Rodgers doesn't have a no-trade clause, so the Packers could pretty much do whatever the hell they want. But I think he will get traded. I think it's such a bad relationship, and you don't want that leaking into the season because when things go sour, they go sour. If he does get moved, I think Denver makes a lot of sense, but I think the Raiders are crazy enough. We we know how John Gruden is. I think they're crazy enough to throw multiple picks, Multiple players, basically the whole house at the Packers just to get Rodgers. Would Rodgers put them over the top? I don't think so. But I would really like to see Rodgers in Denver with their with their running backs and Melvin Gordon. They they just drafted the kid out of UNC. They got Jerry Judy, uh Cortland Sun is coming back from uh from from ACL surgery. Noah Font is a great tight end up and rising. They have a solid defense. So I would love to see Rodgers playing the Holmes twice a year, playing Herbert twice a year, and battling in the
1: AFC. The Green Bay Packers did Aaron Rodgers wrong. That's the main problem with this and why he's ultimately, it's time for him to want to walk away. They did him wrong. I don't believe in his tenure they ever drafted an offensive player. Jordan Love doesn't count because that's a quarterback. Drafted a player in the first round. I believe in his entire career he threw one touchdown pass to a first-round pick, and that was a washed-up Jimmy Grant. I mean, right then and there, that's red flags all over the place. I mean, they've always had disasters. A quarterback of Aaron Rodgers' caliber, that team should be winning multiple championships. They should, like, Rodgers should probably have three to four rings by now with, like, seven appearances at least. He's that type of talent. He's arguably the most talented quarterback in the history of football. That's the way people compare him to. And the fact that they're sitting on one championship eons ago, in like 2010, if people even remember that. That's not acceptable. But the fact that they've had close to 30 years of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers at under center with two total championships, it's not good enough. That's a failure on the organization. And it's not a great look for now now this is the second quarterback in a span of two months who wants out of their teams, a top five, two top five quarterbacks, superstar quarterbacks, the Sean Watson wanting out. Now you want Aaron Rodgers out. That's two of the top five biggest quarterbacks on planet Earth wanting out. It's showing that we have a lot of quarterbacks now who are using their power, their player power, to really, I guess, want to get moved. If they want to get moved, it's like, all right, I I want out, and then they they, they have to do it, right? So the thing with this is I guess it's time for him to go. It's not a great look on his legacy, quote-unquote, but he's not been as successful. I think retiring would be a shame on football. I think if Aaron Rodgers decided to retire, I think that would generally be a a shame on football. Being the reigning MVP, people were trying to call him the the best quarterback in the game as of this past season. And then retire on that? Come on, man. I still don't think Rodgers should retire. But him wanting out to be with a better organization who's going to treat him right, I have to respect it. I can't knock him for it. I can't fault him for it. But he's got to do what he's got to do. And teams who are going to look... To attack it, like acquire him, it's going to be a team that is in a win now situation. It's we acquire Aaron Rodgers, we're gonna we can win a Super Bowl. Like you said, getting traded to the NFC is probably not in the best interest for the Green Bay Packers. Even though I, I, think the Packers should just rebuild, should start from scratch. If Rodgers is not on that team, you got to tear it down. If you trade Rodgers, you might as well honestly trade Devontae Adams. As ludicrous as that may sound, trade every top player you have on that team and start from scratch because there's no reason to pay any of these top players when this is a perfect opportunity. If Jordan Love's your guy, if they, if that's what they've told me, if Jordan Love is that guy that you traded up in the draft while Rodgers is still in the peak of his powers to draft in the first round, then you should be have no problem tearing it down, rebuild back from the draft. Get rid of everybody, clear the house, start with him if that's the way you believe. But if you are trying to make the belief that you could get rid of Rodgers, keep love, and you're still going to be in a win-now situation or try to win now, I think that's utterly ridiculous. But yeah, in terms of what team he's going to go to, I heard rumors about the Broncos. I could see John Gruden trying to pull something together. Hopefully not the Patriots, even though they drafted Mac Jones. don't want to take any risks now. But that's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up. But if I had to ask you right now, will Aaron Rodgers be a Green Bay Packer in September?
0: I think yes. I don't. I think they're gonna do everything in their power to make him happy. When you look at it, quarterbacks hold all the power in the NFL, right? And I think what frustrated Watson and Rodgers was that they weren't getting a say in the team. Qu- quarterbacks want to win. You know what I mean. The, Everyone, when when you associate teams, you look right away at the quarterback. We're not looking, you know, at the offensive lineman, maybe the edge rusher. We're looking at the quarterback. If you go ask, you know, any casual fan who who's the quarterback of this team, they're going to know it. If you ask them, you know, who's the starting, you know, middle linebacker, they're going to have no idea. So we see what the other top guys, Mahomes. You, you don't think Mahomes has a saying with the Chiefs do personnel-wise? Tom Brady, you know, he – Tom Brady, that's not even a question. Russell Wilson was even upset because the Seahawks offensive line was terrible. You you and I could have started on their offensive line. That's how bad it was. And because he kept getting sacked, I I think he was like one of the most, you know, hit quarterbacks last year. But the Seahawks didn't address their offensive line. Russell Wilson wants to win a championship, but he saw everybody in his division getting better, but yet the Seahawks weren't doing anything. So that's why he was getting frustrated. So I think it comes down to quarterbacks want the talent around they want the team to address their needs they don't care about the other you know problems or whatnot they want to be surrounded with weapons and a foundation up in front and i think we saw that with with what the jets are doing the jets have 20 billion you know holes on their roster they, they didn't care one bit they got an offensive line for their quarterback they got a wide receiver for their quarterback they got a running back for their quarterback they signed an undrafted tight end for their for their quarterback so it's all about building around your quarterback it's a quarterback driven league we've said that numerous times and i think rogers was just fed up of him having devonte adams and then this the basic, you know, scraps of the of the of the wide receivers. He wants talent on his team, and uh, he just got fed up to the point. And then they bring in his replacement when he has like another like you know couple of years left on his contract. That was terrible, a terrible move. But now I think they're gonna make moves in order to make Rogers happy, and I think he'll start for the Packers Week One.
1: As T- Terry Bradshaw called Rogers weak for wanting his GM fired. What do you make of that? Is it a weak move? No, because like
0: you said, when you have a quarterback of Rodgers' talent, how are you guys not competing for more Super Bowls? How are you not advancing in the playoffs? You need to build a team around your quarterback. How many passes are guys going to get before they get fired? The Packers, like, yeah, you know. This year, maybe last year, you know, we saw them as a Super Bowl caliber team. But other than that, we saw the Vikings win, win the division, the Bears win the, win the division. Like when 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 have the Packers been, you know, the top dog year in and year out, especially when you had Rodgers, you know, playing at the level that he plays. He just went MVP and they couldn't get to the Super Bowl. And you gotta look because their corners are so bad, they got burnt by by Tom Brady and company. So it goes to show if your GM can't get you over the hump, yes, it's nice to make the playoffs and whatnot, but you need to eventually get over the hump And make the moves that you wouldn't make necessarily on any other given year. But if you want to make the move to get you over the hump and get you to a Super Bowl, you need to do that. The Packers could definitely went out at the trade deadline and got a wide receiver, but they didn't. That was probably their biggest need was getting another wide receiver. And what happened to Devontae Adams when they faced Tampa? They played three guys and they kind of boxed them in and he didn't show up. So that goes to show they needed another wide receiver to take attention away from Adams and they didn't do it. So Rogers, I mean, in a way, yes, it's wrong for him to, you know, the general manager to get fired because he's just a player. But where but we would call for the GM's head too as fans. Why is why are they not why are the Packers not going to the next level? And it falls back to the general manager.
1: Right. I mean, there's times where you could say, Rogers should have been blamed for them not uh, winning this year. You could argue that to an extent. I mean, I think the play before halftime, Brady throwing that pet bomb to Scotty Barnes, was a complete defensive breakdown on the last play of halftime. That is just simply inexcusable. And then the first play out of halftime, Rogers throws to Aaron Jones. He gets blasted, and then that's that's a fumble. And then right then and there, Brady throws a touchdown pass the, the next play. So I mean, right then and there, that's what's really that's what's really hurting the pa- the Packers. Like, little things like that is why you've seen them not be successful. You had that shootout against the Cardinals, I believe it was, in an NFC Wild Card game. It was in the 40s or 50s, if I remember correctly. And then that's how they lost the playoff game, the NFC Championship against the Seahawks. And then you have, uh, what's the, there's one, one I'm missing, one I'm missing. Uh, what's the other heartbreaker one? Oh, right, the divisional the, the round against the Cardinals, where Rodgers throws that insane Hail Mary, right? The last play of the game. And then what do you know? First player on overtime, Larry Fitzgerald runs the entire field, to, and then it's first and goal to one. And, I mean, that's how he goes down. So, I mean, multiple things like that is what's really killed the Packers, ultimately. I think you can blame Rodgers for them not winning championships, but also I think it's complimenting them, like their GM, not putting them in successful situations. But we got one more topic to wrap up the show, and the NFL Draft. The Jets got their guy, Zach Wilson. Trevor Lawrence goes number one, as we should. We've seen the Bears move up to get Justin Fields. What's your overall takeaway on the draft?
0: Oof, I mean, there were a lot of things happening. I This was one of probably the most hyped drafts that I can remember in such a long time. And it's crazy to think that we knew who the top two picks were going to be, and the excitement was still there. I enjoyed what the Jets, at first I, I didn't enjoy what the Jets did. I thought there were areas of need that they kind of shied away from, but we've been held to watching an Adam Gates offense for the past two years. I was like, you know what? Screw it. Go all offense. Throw Zach Wilson a bunch of new toys and just let him rock. I don't care if we lose games, you know, 50 to 40. I want to see point score. We have a defensive minded head coach. We have two first round picks next year. We'll worry about defense then. And if it's just too bad and they end up with like another top five pick, now they can trade out because they don't need a quarterback. So they so they set themselves up nicely, but I like what the Bears did. They traded up. They got Justin Fields. Great move. I'm so happy the 49ers didn't go with Mac Jones at three. I think that would have been a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. I'm happy Mac Jones felt the 15 to to the Patriots. I don't know why the media loves Mac Jones. They're like all over this guy as if they're basically giving Mac Jones the hype that that Trevor Lawrence was getting. Like that—that's how asinine it's been, it, and it honestly makes me sick. And I'm shocked. A lot of guys that had first-round grades really like fell. Like uh, the guy, Tevin Jenkins, uh, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma State. He he fell into the second round. Elijah Moore, who the Jets took, he fell. Jabril Cox, who I thought was um, a solid linebacker out of LSU, he fell to like I think like the fourth round or something. Like he had a crazy drop. And a lot of a lot of guys fell, and I think that was because teams weren't able to bring guys into their facilities, you know, for for pre-draft, you know, workouts and interviews, etc. So I think that hurt stock in a way. But it was a deep draft to begin with, and I, I think the only teams that really lost Houston because they didn't have their first two picks, and they were brutal last year. I don't know what the hell the Saints are doing. They're all over the place. The Chiefs, they stacked up their offensive line. Ravens has got a wide receiver for uh, Lamar Jackson. Packers got a receiver for Aaron Rodgers. They got uh, Amari Rodgers, and I got A-Rod and A-Rod, which is going to be kind of cool if Rodgers stays. But other than that, I, I like what a lot of teams I, – I like what the Giants did, trading out of the pick. They still got a couple of guys, so – I can't really, you know, criticize
1: teams too much, but it was a a good, fun draft, all in all. Running out of time, but I got one more question. The Jets getting Zach Wilson with the second overall pick. A lot of people are concerned about the competition he played. He had that bad loss against Coastal Carolina. Is that really a concern? Did they really screw up this draft, not getting a Trey Lance or even a Justin Fields? What do you really make on the Jets' situation? Did they make the right move? Like I've told
0: you before, I've liked Zach Wilson. I like Justin Fields. I like Lance, but he was probably going to have to sit a year, so the Jets weren't going to take him. All in all, yes, Zach Wilson played against, you know, bad competition, but who do you think Zach Wilson had on his team? Well, it, It's not like Zach Wilson had, you know, the Patriots. You know, he was playing with the Patriots against, you know, like Texas Southern or something. He was playing with guys who were now real estate agents and accountants. That's who he was throwing the ball to. That that That's who was blocking from. Do you, do you think those guys are going to be, you know, I think only maybe two, maybe one guy's drafted and like two more were undrafted free agents that got signed. But who was Zach Wilson playing with? So I hate that argument. Yeah, he played against nobody. Well, he had nobody on his team also. So it kind of, you know, cancels out. And I know Zach Wilson was bad the year before, but that's because he was coming off labrum surgery. So if the medicals check out, I'm not a doctor. If I was, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. But if his medicals check out and everything, I don't see why he's not in a position to succeed with the Jets. He played a West Coast offense at BYU, and that's what the Jets are going to have with LaFleur as as not head coach, as offensive coordinator. So he's been in the system right? He's been exposed to it. So – they got it. Like I said earlier, they got an offensive tackle form. They got a new wide receiver from they got a new running back from there's no reason why he hasn't been put into position to succeed. Unlike Sam, where when Sam got you know, drafted, the just next pick was a division two nose tackle like that, that. That just goes to show the difference of talent surrounding this kid. So, I mean, yeah, Zach Wilson's going to be compared to Lance and Fields because that's the way that the draft works. But I
1: think Wilson has been put in, into place to succeed as of today. Alrighty, Chuck, as always, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure talking sports with you. I appreciate you got everyone who tuned in. But as always, thank you for watching my content. And if you haven't already, make sure you check me out on Instagram and YouTube at The Falco Takeaway. Chuck, again, thanks for coming on. Thank you, sir. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.